Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That One Time A Day To The Mormon. I hope that you've had a good week. So I have to start off this week's episode by, of course, talking about Taylor Swift. I always do. And if you have come across any of the discussion in the news this week about the um, dumpster fire that was the um, Ticketmaster sales chaos for her era's tour. So basically she um, released or um, said that she was going on tour next year. I think it starts in March around America. She hasn't given the European dates yet. Um, But anyway, so people could, you know, get onto like a pre-sale site and so they could get tickets before general sale, blah, 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 blah. And there was something, you know, like ridiculous, like 14 million tickets available or something like that um and um basically there was whatever web uh whatever thing Ticketmaster did whatever algorithm they set up whatever didn't work and um, it completely crashed which meant that you know millions of fans couldn't get any tickets um and um she's come out and said kind of how frustrated she is by the whole process and it's even been discussed in um in American politics as well. Um more well, maybe the secret fans Taylor Swift, I don't know, maybe Joe Biden loves midnights. Um, but more in terms of the conglomerate and um kind of capitalism side of it in terms of how Ticketmaster and Live Nation run things. But anyway, so just um, an overview. So basically, 14 million people tried to get Taylor Swift tickets on Tuesday, which was enough to fill 900 stadiums, which is just insane to think that someone can be that popular. Um, and there were one and a half million tickets available on pre-sale, but uh, more than 14 million people turned up to try and get the tickets and Ticketmaster said that it was quote historically unprecedented um, and it was the most tickets that had ever been sold in a day for for an artist um, and basically um, Ticketmaster have just been really heavily criticised because they um, had obviously just not expected it to be as popular as it was or hadn't I don't know how does it work like people behind the scenes selling the tickets I don't know but basically they've said that they weren't ready for the number of people trying to get tickets but the number of bots trying to um, get tickets so I think basically um, then people could then resell them um, for a profit but um, the US Justice Department had opened an investigation into Ticketmaster and Live Nation, which have partnered up um, basically because they have a monopoly um, across the entertainment industry in America. And Joe Biden has even um, said that he's expressed his own concerns about the monopoly that Ticketmaster and Live Nation have. Um, and AOC my favourite, Alexandria Cortez, um, had posted as well how unfair it was that they have this monopoly and that it means that other businesses um, and other sales vendors don't obviously then get as much of a, you know, a cut and of, of a profit as, as these two conglomerates do. Um, Taylor Swift has spoken out herself in a very lengthy post which she put on Instagram and various social media. So she says... 
Well, it goes without saying that I'm extremely protective of my fans. We've been doing this for decades together and over the years, I've brought so many elements of my career in-house. I've done this specifically to improve the quality of my fans' experience by doing it myself with my team, who care as much about my fans as I do. It's really difficult for me to trust an outside entity with these relationships and loyalties and excruciating for me to just watch mistakes happen with no recourse. There are a multitude of reasons why people had such a hard time trying to get tickets and I'm trying to figure out how this situation can be improved moving forward. I'm not going to make excuses for anyone because we asked them multiple times if they could handle this kind of demand and we were assured they could. It's truly amazing that 2.4 million people got tickets, but it really pisses me off that a lot of them feel like they went through several bear attacks to get them. And those who didn't get tickets, all I can say is that my hope is to provide more opportunities for us all to get together and sing these songs. Thank you for wanting to be there. You have no idea how much that means. Um, now, there hasn't been a lot of criticism of her, understandably, because it's not her fault, but... Um, Obviously, you know, some type of deal has been struck with Ticketmaster that they had, um, you know, the monopoly over selling her tickets. Um, so it might be that, you know, over the next week or weeks or whatever, there's more information about what that deal was. I like the fact that she swears, that she says it really pisses me off. Um, and obviously the, the European dates, which have yet to be announced and wider, you know, Asia, Australasia might be sold in a different way, but who knows? Um, but obviously, you know, Taylor Swift has got to be spoken about. Um, as has the continuing um arse hat, which is Elon Musk. Um, I don't know if you saw anything that's been out in terms of his tweets um and um running of Twitter. Now, obviously, he sacked hundreds of staff um, a couple of weeks ago, coincidentally, just before the American midterm elections, possibly, I think, to prevent people from who had been leaning Democrat to be part of the company, possibly, who knows, that's just my interpretation. Um, and I didn't know, but I read today that Twitter hasn't actually made a profit since 2019. It's been losing money continually for the last couple of years. But anyway, he took it on. And he's been in the news again this week because um, he had let staff know that they needed to be prepared for long working hours and being back in the office. And a tweet went out this week. I don't know if you've seen it just from Twitter, not from anyone in particular, just from the ether of Twitter to staff. They said, hi, effective immediately, we are temporarily closing our office buildings and all badge access will be suspended. Offices will reopen Monday, November 21st. Thank you for your flexibility. Please continue to comply with company policy by refraining from discussion confidential company information on social media with the press or elsewhere. We look forward to working with you on Twitter's exciting future. Twitter. Um... So that's just come from like an empty Twitter body to all Twitter staff. Um, so basically, it's just staff being bollocked for complaining that they're not being treated very well. Um, I mean, the grammar of it annoys me, first of all. Professional, well, can you say professional tweet? Started with hi, with a capital letter on the first sentence. Well, that's wrong anyway. Um, but the, um, it's, I don't know, it's a bit like dystopian handmaid's tale, like, that just like a blanket 
stopping you from entering the workplace. It's just odd. And um, one funny thing that I mentioned last week, Kathy Griffin has been banned from Twitter because she pretended to be Elon Musk online. Um, and she said that she was allowed to be re-invoked um, on Twitter if she verified her account for £6 a month or $8 a month, whatever. And um, the, he'd sent a tweet out saying Kathy Griffin was now allowed back on Twitter, but he'd spelt her name wrong. K-A-H... I can't speak. K-A-T-H-I-E rather than a Y, which obviously she then took the piss out of as well. Um, but Musk is just, I don't know, like a scary, scary character. Scary character. Um, and then carrying on from last week as well, the Qatar World Cup, which I don't really give a shit about. But I don't know if you'd seen that um, one of the um, kind of people behind working on it has um, criticised the West for criticising Qatar. Um, and um, it's... Uh, He's called Infantino. I'm not sure of his first name. But basically, um, he has slagged off the West for saying that um, people should boycott the Qatar World Cup. Um, and he said, quote, Today I have strong feelings. Today I feel Qatari. I feel Arab. I feel African. I feel gay. I feel disabled. I feel a migrant worker. So I think basically he's trying to say, look, I'm being sympathetic. I'm empathetic towards all of these issues. But the competition still needs to continue. Okay, interesting. But let's just look at that a little bit more. So he says, I feel African. Well, you're not. I feel gay. Well, I don't think you are. I feel disabled. You're not. And I feel a migrant worker. Well, the issue is, though, that migrant workers have died creating the World Cup stadiums. So that's a little bit of an insensitive flipping comment to make. I feel gay. I feel disabled. What? And this is, you know, an extremely affluent, privileged man who's working as part of the World Cup. Well, what what are you saying? You're just saying random words here to try and make out that the Qatar World Cup and the, all the organisers behind it um, aren't, like, shady and aren't um, dictators and aren't trying to cover up the death of people who've worked on the stadiums. And then he's basically gone on and said that the West should look at itself um, for the kind of war crimes and things that the West have done in the past before pointing fingers at Qatar. Um, but I don't think you can really just throw mud at one person to ignore it being, you know, your own mistakes you've made. Anyway, so it's just privileged straight men arguing about football which is always fun um and then another story that interested me this week was Rishi Sunak and he has suddenly just decided that he's bothered about women's rights um and he's um, it was an article on BBC News this week and he said that uh, the article says, quote, Rishi Sunak has spoken of his fears for his daughter's safety on her walk to school following a number of crimes against women and girls. The PM said, quote, events of the last year have showed us that so many women and girls have not felt as safe as they should. Um, and he said, I want to make sure that my kids and everyone else can walk around safely. Now, on one hand, fine. It's a very important issue to talk about. I've spoken about 
know women's safety multiple times on here um i do a lot of reading around it i listen to a lot of podcasts on um, on the issue of female safety that i've mentioned on here before um but it's it seems a little bit i don't know insensitive is insensitive the right word he only seems bothered about it now because he's realised that his kid could be in danger. And not that he shouldn't feel worried for his children, of course he should, but it shouldn't take you being concerned about your own children for you to realise that women and girls in general are in danger just leaving the house in this country and in other countries. Um, and he also said, quote, many of us men have taken safety for granted. And again, it's good that he's realising that, but it shouldn't be looking at his own children for him to realise that he has been in a privileged situation of being male, straight and wealthy to feel safe his entire life. Um, and yes, it's right that he's come out and said that there needs to be new protocols put into place to keep women feel safe, you know, so that they don't have to leave the house with keys between their fingers. Um, but it just seems a little bit late in the game. And it'll be interesting to see what he actually does about it as well. Hopefully something, probably nothing. And then very interesting and exciting this week was the Meghan Markle podcast of Archetypes. Now, um, I am a fan of Meghan Markle. I have to say, I do find her podcast sometimes a little bit self-serving. Um, I don't agree with any of the press that she gets. I think that she's hounded for absolutely no reason. Um, I do find it a little bit funny that she says she didn't know who Prince Harry was. I mean, I think he did. But um, in terms of the absolute slating she gets, I don't think that she deserves it. Um, and I think sometimes the reason that her podcast gets slated is because it's very clearly scripted. It doesn't have a lot of the um, kind of off the cuff humanity to it that a lot of other podcasts do. But, you know, maybe that's just how she wants it to be. But anyway, there was one this week um, where she had Jamila Jamil on, who's God, obviously, and talking about um, the role of the activist and the lot of criticism that activists get, and particularly female activists get. And it's a really, really good episode, so I suggest that you listen to it. I listened to it twice because there were so many anecdotes and tidbits from Jamila Jamil, particularly. So I would definitely go and listen to that if you have um, a spare hour. I listened to it twice. It was great. I've been dating since I was 15. I'm exhausted. Where is he? Who? The White Knight? That only happens in fairy tales. My hair hurts. Charlotte, honey, did you ever think that maybe we're the White Knights and we're the ones that have to save ourselves? That is so depressing. So that is a little clip from Sex and the City. Um, I know, very white woman, white wine, privileged. Um, but it was very groundbreaking at the time. You know, there were lots of shows now that we wouldn't have had if that hadn't have come along. So things like Desperate Housewives, Orange is the New Black, even shows like, you know, female-led programmes like Motherland, Dead to Me, or oh, I'll Get to Dead to Me Later, actually. It's brilliant. Um, but anyway, the reason that I started this little section with that clip is because I want to do the next section of the episode as an answer to an email that I got this week. Um, and it was from someone who had just broken up with their boyfriend and um, in the letter they were saying how they were really worried about um, 
wanting either to like realize they've made the wrong decision, wanting to get back with him, um, why hasn't it worked? Um, you know, why had you know he wanted to leave her? Um, why hadn't she fought more? Um, what if she's stays single? Um, and I'll just read one little bit of the letter, and it says. My boyfriend just broke up with me and I really want him back. I don't think I've ever loved someone as much as I love him. What do I do? And like, as I said, it goes on in the letter from this person um, to say, you know, that they're worried about being single for the rest of their lives and, and so on. And we've all been there. You know, there'll be people listening here who can relate to that and, you know, know how how much it, it like physically hurts when, you know, you someone has broken up with you or you've realised that relationship has just come to an end and all those really sad songs make sense for the first time and you can't get out of bed and you don't want to eat and you just need your friends around you or don't want anyone around you or whatever. Um and um you know it's 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 hard and you'll be thinking that you want to get in contact with them and just try and get back with them because it's easier and it's what you know and you're thinking about all the things that you miss about them and everything reminds you of them and every time you go there it reminds you of them or hear that song or eat that it just makes you think of them and you know I've been there I've had my heart broken before and it does feel like a never-ending cycle of this really odd pain that's emotional that's mental that's physical like you feel like you've got a hole inside your chest a lot of the time and it's awful um so I'm going to look at the next part of this episode, kind of answering that email and by, but what I mean by that is looking at the idea of dating and being single and why that is seen to be such a bad thing, if that makes sense, um, particularly for women, um, but also how uh, kind of media presents single women and single men in a very different way. Um, if you think about it, single women are called spinsters. Miss Habersham, whereas single men are called bachelors and they're eligible and they're attractive. And, you know, an older single man is like a silver fox and is, um, you know, living his best life and is going to the gym and is going on lots of dates. And that's, you know, excellent and it's attractive. Whereas a single older woman is dangerous and is going to be after your husband and um, lives with cats and is barren and can't have children. And it's really double standards around um kind of how single men and women are presented just to uh exaggerate that or well not exaggerate actually just to give an example of that i'm just going to play you a little bit of stand up from Catherine ryan who i love obviously as you all know and this is a joke from her um glitter room set that she did a couple of years ago and she's talking about the difference between being a single mom and being a single dad this is the thing, ladies. I feel if you're unsure about your choices, ask yourself, would I be more celebrated if I were doing this as a man? And if I were a man, if you were men, we wouldn't be single. Oh, no. We'd be eligible as fuck. <laughs> you can sit down, ladies. Thank you so much. bought a house in central London, they would have made me The Bachelor two years ago. <laughs> like, oh my God, how does he do it? How does a young, 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 
young, young, young baby boy of a man. How does he raise a gorgeous young daughter without financial help from anywhere? And there'd be memes of me just vacuuming with no shirt on. No one knows why. Just, uh, uh, how does he do it? I don't know. I just push it back and forth. Uh, There'd be YouTube videos going viral. Have you seen these? 40 million views. <gasps> Incredible dad learns to braid his own child's hair. <laughs> How does he do it? And I'd be very smug. I'd be like, well, if you think my hands are full, you should see my heart. say I take three equal sections of hair and then heroically I fold one into the other two and so on like any idiot could do and women all over the globe would lose their shit they'd be like oh my god oh my god Michelle Don get over here have you heard about this incredible single dad where is he is anyone sucking him off right now I go next <laughs> they'd form a very long line and then i would remove the mask and be like ha i am a lady um sorry i let that play for a bit longer than i intended to just because it was funny um but i think what you know she's saying there quite clearly is that single women are questioned you know why are you single where is the dad what happened in your relationship what happened in the marriage um you know why did the man leave you Whereas a single man is, you know, eligible, he's a bachelor and a single father is lauded, you know, because it's cute and it's attractive if you can look after a child and braid their hair, as she says there, or make them a packed lunch. Whereas a woman, it's sad, you know, it's sad that she goes home to just a kid or it's sad that she goes home to a house on her own. And I think that sometimes when we break up with people, it's that shame stigma that comes with it of you know, people asking, well, what happened? Implying that what happened in terms of what did you do wrong? Um, and I think that that is sometimes the worry people have in terms of wanting to get back with somebody because they don't want the shame of having to explain something to other people. Well, no one has the right to ask. No one needs to know what happened. And also you don't need to feel worried or ashamed if a relationship hasn't worked you might want you might have wanted it to work but ultimately if it didn't work then it didn't and there's no point spending time wishing something had worked out because if it would have done if it should have done then it would have done um and the the shame that comes with that of being single of being alone it will pass you won't feel that way forever um, but it shouldn't be something that pushes you into wanting to get back with someone just because it's easier to or society makes you think that you should. Um, I've mentioned a book um, called Girl Logic by Eliza Schlesinger, which I always say wrong. Schlesinger? Eliza Schlesinger. Sorry, I know I said that wrong. Girl Logic. And um, in the chapter that I was reading the other day, was looking at this idea of being single and how it's very different for men or men and women. Um, and particularly when you get to a certain age as well. So when you're single in your 20s, it's okay because you're dating. There's no rush. There's no biological clock for women. But as soon as you get into your 30s, it's then, you know, well, when you're going to get married and when you're going to have kids and why you're single and what went wrong. 
And in the book, she mentions how there's a big difference between the questions, how are you single and why are you single? Because how are you single is a compliment because it's like, oh, you're amazing. How could you not be, you know, snacked up yet? How could nobody have found you? Whereas why are you single is an accusation, isn't it? Because it's like, well, what did you do that means it didn't work? Why is, you know, what's wrong with you that means no one um, has asked you out yet? And again, I think that men tend to be asked, um, you know, how are you single? Why has no one got you to father their children yet? Whereas women, again, it's more about being seen as sad and lonely and you're, you know, one bad date away from getting a cat. Um, and it's really just comes back to just this, you know, patriarchal view of seeing men at any stage of their life is being powerful, whereas women are constantly seen as being weak wherever they are. You know, you're married, oh, you did what society expected to do, you got married to a man, oh, you're single, well, why, does no man want you? Um, oh, you've got kids, well, you'll have to give up your career then. Oh, you've got a career, but well, what about your ovaries? Um, and that women really can't win, and that's why so many women, I think, stay in relationships, because they don't want to be questioned about why they're not with somebody. Um, in the book as well, um, Eliza also goes on and talks about her own mum, who I think raised her pretty much as a single mother for her whole life, and how constantly single women are seen as being threats by other women, um, because they're seen as potentially going after their husband or after their boyfriend. And there's a really interesting bit where she talks about how her mum works on a cruise ship, and how she got on really well with a couple, and would always be careful to um, be tactile with both the husband and the wife so that the wife would realise that she wasn't going after the husband um, or if she complimented the husband just platonically that she would do the same to the man so that the man didn't, uh, the, you know, the woman didn't think that she was going after the husband. And I think that part of that is just innate, you know, to be jealous and to be conscious of someone maybe doing, being too friendly with your partner. But again, society has programmed us to, um, has programmed women to uh, judge each other and to question each other and to, you know, if we think about it, maybe, you know, in a bit too much detail, but um, then again, I don't think so really, you know, the way to keep women down is to make them fight each other. And, you know, if we think about historically men have always dominated and the way they've been able to keep that is because women have always been a kept in the house or if they deem to step out of that boundary we pit them against each other you know two we can't have two women bosses so let's make them fucking hate each other so only one of them gets it um you know women can't be friends because then they'll fall out over men and again all of this just kind of seeps into why women are then afraid of being single because they don't want to be judged for being lonely or they don't want to be seen as being a threat. But going back to the aftermath of being dumped, um, again in the book, Eliza Schlesinger, 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 Eliza, says there are five stages to grieving and they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. So, you know, you may be, you the writer of the letter, you in general listener, um, make experience all of these, maybe going through it now, you may relate to some of these. So denial, basically believing that you're going to get back together, that it's just a phase, you know, he'll call you and you'll get back. 
anger. So basically just being really fucking angry that he's left you, angry at the girl maybe he's left you for, um, anger at, I don't know, like a friend who's trying to tell you it's the right thing. Bargaining, so trying to um, justify why he left you, justify why it's the right thing to have happened um, and justify your next steps, whether it's logical or not. Depression, so basically when you just feel shit, can't get out of bed, eat loads of chocolate, um, which could last for a week, a day, whatever, and then acceptance and assent and eventually coming to the understanding that it might hurt, but like I said before, if it was meant to work, then it then it would. And if it was meant to work out, then you would still be together, which is the hardest bit of, of a breakup, but is kind of the last step into healing because you know, ending a relationship is mourning in a way. You are mourning the death of something. And it's a really hard grieving process to get through and come out the other side of. I'm sure you will have seen on the news as well um, about Jennifer Aniston opening up about her IVF and pregnancy struggles. And I think that, you know, a lot of the pressure on being a single woman is down to the biological cock that men don't have to deal with. You know, I'm privileged, I'm lucky that I don't have to worry about not having children in the same way that a single woman does um, in terms of the pressure from society, but the physical ramifications and the physical pressure of um, not having a male partner. Um, and if you remember, you know, in the early 2000s, there was so much scrutiny on her and her marriage with Brad Pitt and why they weren't having children. Now, if you think about it, you know, there could be multiple reasons why. She could have had multiple miscarriages. Um, she could have been struggling with con um, conceiving. Um, she might have just not wanted them. And at no point during the, the scrutiny of their relationship was it ever considered that there could be those issues. It was always that she wasn't providing children for him. Or that maybe he couldn't have children and it wasn't biologically, you know, down to her. Um, there was never any of that. And there were, you know, T-shirts that said, I'll have your baby Brad on it. I remember Eva Longoria wore one and she's since come out and apologised for it. But there was so much scrutiny around her and why she was the problem. And she was very quiet and dignified about the whole thing. But she's spoken about it recently. And um, she, I think it was an, in, in, an interview with a law magazine in America. And she said, and the article says, quote, the actress opened up about her painful, about the painful pregnancy rumours that plagued her for years, revealing that behind the scrutiny was a secret struggle with infertility that she was battling. And she says, I was trying to get pregnant. It was making a, it was a challenging road for me, the baby making road. All the years and years and years of speculation, it was really hard. I was going through IVF, drinking Chinese tea, you name it. I was throwing everything at it. I would, would have given anything if someone had said to me, freeze your eggs, do yourself a favour, but you just don't think of it. Um, and I think that a lot of people have really reacted to that because it's a very famous woman talking about pregnancy, a very famous woman talking about something that we're all aware was a huge media scrutiny of, you know, over a decade or so ago and how 
it's the onus is on the woman to explain why she's not having children rather than one the man explaining and two the need for an explanation when there isn't one at all but it's always pointed at the woman and again just going back to this the focus of this segment and the letter I think the pressure on women about not wanting to be single comes down to being a mother and having children when that shouldn't play a part at all in why you want to have a man or a partner in your life and in complete comparison to that and the treatment of women when they're single, Esquire magazine, um, which is a men's lifestyle magazine, there was an article written that, is, that was titled, Why it's great you're single, these guys know the value of bachelordom. And it was an article all about why it's amazing being a single man. Now, I'm not saying that it's not, um, particularly if that's your choice, but um, I just thought it was funny that Whereas women are criticised constantly for being single, even in women magazines, it's made out to be the saddest thing that can possibly happen to you. In a man's magazine, there was an entire article about why it's great to be a single man. Um, and it opens up by saying, movies, adverts, even your own mother, everyone wants you to no longer be single and then it goes on to look at famous bachelor men and why they're so great and why you are as well so the likes of Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, George Clooney and how they've always been lauded for being single rather than mocked and made fun of like Jennifer Aniston's for example and at times like this I always think it's important to try and find a little bit of um, ease and understanding and support in music and in art and in film and in television and um, I obviously have to come back to Taylor Swift um, on her latest album Midnight's there's a song called Lavender Haze where basically she's talking about the pressure um, of the media looking at her and now that she's no longer this sad a uh, girl dating all the time as she was slagged off for now it's well you've got a boyfriend why aren't you getting married why aren't you, have, you know why aren't you having kids and so she can't win she's either sad for being single she's a slut for dating all the time as she was slut shamed for um or she's now weird because she's not getting married so i'm just going to play you a little bit from the song lavender haze And, you know, so there she's saying, all people want to know now is if I'm going to marry you. And again, it's the shame of being like an unmarried woman and the idea that if you're not married, then your relationship isn't stable, which is, again, an entire uh, patriarchal society thing so that men can then trap the woman um, and have the woman dominated in the household. And then there's another brilliant artist called Self-Esteem and um, her album called Prioritise Pleasure, which is great. And I first came across her music when I saw Prima Facie, the National Theatre Live show with Jodie Comer in the summer. And she does really good music about um, women, 
female empowerment, sexuality, loads of stuff, which is great. And there's one song called I Do This All The Time, where it's looking at not judging yourself for being single, not comparing yourself to friends who are married, who have children, who are living with somebody. So I'm just going to play you a little bit of that song as well. Um, and it's a really good song. It's spoken word, um, but it, I really suggest you go and listen to it. The way it builds up into it, like an orchestral crescendo, is beautiful. But I really like again the message of that that women can be single and it's fine. So I know that the answer to that email has been a little bit higgledy-piggledy, but um, I hope that rather than me just answering that one person who was struggling with being dumped and being single, it's maybe, you know, answered a, or discussed a wider issue that whether you are, you know, male, female, gay, straight, non-binary, trans, whatever, that being single is fine. It can be a choice, it can be hard, but it's nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to worry about um, and that you may be you know without a partner for years and that's fine it might be the choice that you don't want to be with anyone and again that's fine but don't um let a sudden panic mean that you want to get in a relationship or feel ashamed of the fact that you're not with somebody Now, um, I mentioned before Dead To Me, and um, if you've not watched Dead To Me, then you need to go on it. It's the best thing on Netflix by a mile. Forget Squid Games, which is, I've started watching it because I thought I should. It's okay. Um, it's just Hunger Games, the TV show. It's all right. Um, Forget The Crown, which was very good to start off with. Now it's just a bit of soap opera trash. Um, Dead To Me. Oh, actually, no. <laughs> the the Lindsay Lohan Christmas film, funniest thing you'll watch for all the wrong reasons. Um, but Dead to Me is just amazing. It's funny, it's sad, it's full of pathos, it's um, cutting, it's uncomfortable, it's just brilliant. And it's the, the, the friendship between the two characters of Jen and Judy, Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini's Brill and the final series has just been released this week so I re-watched series two last week um, just to refresh, amazing and it's particularly poignant this time around because of Christina Applegate's diagnosis with MS um, and I think I mentioned in the episode last week that she released a statement about how she was concerned that people would judge her appearance in the show because she's visibly different, she's gained weight, she's not as active in the show because of her diagnosis and her struggling with the illness. Um, and it's just brilliant to watch, one for the show and for the script and their performances, but also just to have her there, um, you know, really positively showing how someone can continue to work and be active with with the condition and she got her hollywood star of fame or on the hollywood is it hollywood walk of fame star of fame 
you know what I'm talking about. She got it this week and she, it was a really, like, you know, emotional moment for her, obviously. And the co-star Linda Card- Cardellini was there and some of her old co-stars from other TV shows were there as well. So I'd definitely suggest watching Dead to Me if you haven't. And then, very exciting, is Vanessa Carlton, who is, you know, one of my all-time faves. I learnt piano playing her music. Um, She's on tour in America. Hopefully she'll come to the UK and Europe next year. So I put on Instagram, you know, Vanessa Carlton, please come to the UK. And um, she shared it. And um, obviously we're now our best friends. Um, but it's just, I just think it's nice. I think that's the good thing about social media. There were lots of bad, but lots, there's a good side to it and that it does make your connection between people that you look up to you know and some of your idols because you can contact them and message them and obviously they get a lot of shit I'm sure they do but I think for them as well when they get messages from fans that are supportive that must be really nice for them as well so um, I always appreciate whenever I you know message somebody like Catherine Ryan like Vanessa Carter like Jamila Jamil and they do actually see it and they reply which they do um and so that was just you know a little bit of an exciting thing that happened this week um and also I would just like to say thank you to people who emailed in regarding the episode last week when that fool asked me if I was disabled because I had a crutch um and some people that sent some suggestions to help with the fibromyalgia like a couple of exercises and stretches one or two people have suggested that I have honey um which I've not done yet but I will so thank you um as always if you have any questions or thoughts that one time podcast at yahoo.com and have a lovely weekend hope you're getting ready for the festive season I've actually started buying some stuff um and trying to be organised. We'll see how far that goes. Anyway, have a good week, and I'll see you soon.